Today, as we walk into the Christmas season, one of my favorite themes in all of Scripture is this theme right here, God with us. And it always reminds me of when my dad taught me to dive. To me, diving was just one of the most terrifying things that humankind has ever invented. Uh, I was absolutely terrified of it. I, I thought that to go into water headfirst certainly meant that you were going to die. I mean, that was just the worst thing in the world. And so I was terrified of it, and I was one of those. I would stand there forever on the edge, and eventually I would start to go and do the perfect dive, and then I would jump in feet first with my hands up like this. Nailed it. You know, in my mind, it was a 10 out of 10 dive. And so my dad, as so many others have done, in order to teach me how to dive, and, and the time I'm remembering, I, I'm almost certain I was actually on a diving board, which is worse, because you're way high off, at least two feet or so. So it's just terrifying. But my dad was treading water in the deep end. And he was right there where I would go in. And he said, come on, jump. I'm, I'm here. I'm right here in the water. And, and I just remember all the thoughts going through my head of the fear of being hurt, the fear of drowning, you know, all these things that could possibly go wrong with this horrific, horrific event, and yet knowing my dad is there. He's with me. He's right there in the water, in that difficult situation. When you're going through a difficult situation, having the right person with you really helps. If you're involved in something that takes a lot of technical skill, having somebody right there with you that knows that technical skill, uh, we've seen this in the renovation as we get into things and having somebody there that's a carpenter or a plumber and can come alongside and say, hey, this is how I do it. Let me help you with it. When you're in a difficult situation, you have somebody that knows you, knows you personally, can help you and process with you and bounce ideas off you. Having somebody that's strong, if you're in a situation where you have to move something heavy and, and having somebody can come along and put a shoulder to it and help you out is so helpful. And as we enter this Christmas season and the celebration of our Savior's birth, I want us to remember a, a very familiar verse. It's in Matthew chapter 1, actually two verses, verses 22 and 23. And it's a prophecy as Matthew is sharing the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. He so helpfully ties it in to the promises from the Old Testament. And here he quotes Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 by saying all this took place. All the announcements of Jesus' birth, everything leading up to it, the birth itself, all of it was foretold by Isaiah. To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Which means God with us. Whenever you see on a postage, uh, or on a Christmas card rather, or, or a poster, or a graphic, and you see that cute little baby in the manger, I want you to stop and say, Emmanuel, God with us. That's Emmanuel, God with us. Us. And this morning I want to look at that idea of God being with us. I want to put that idea in your heads at the beginning of this Advent season as you walk toward Christmas to constantly be aware that Christmas is God coming to be with us. Now some would say, 
This was a new plan for God. Isn't it great that God changed directions, shifted gears, and he started this new plan to come and be with us? Isn't the New Testament so wonderful, this completely new plan? That is absolutely false. And, and, and I feel like whether I was taught that or that's just what my feeble brain took in, I'm not really sure. But I felt like that's what I absorbed growing up. There was like plan A in the Old Testament and then plan B in the New Testament. The old one didn't work so well, so God tried a new one and this worked great. That is not the way our God is. We serve a God that knows the beginning from the end. He knows what works and what won't work long before it ever comes to pass. And so I want to walk through scripture today for us to understand that this baby in a manger, this Emmanuel God with us, was never a plan B. It was always plan A. It had been the plan from the very beginning. And this is not just to give you helpful ideas about Christmas, but for you to know that God wants to be with you. With you, whoever you are. God has a passionate plan throughout all eternity to be with you. And so I want to look at that plan. Your sermon notes and your bulletins say God's passionate plan through all eternity is to be with us. I couldn't fit it all on the slide, so you get this. God's plan to be with us. All of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is a record of God's plan to be with us. And what he has done to make that possible. And so I want to walk through that briefly to help you catch a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse of the magnitude of God's plan to be Emmanuel, God with us. And we have to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God creates humanity, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We've talked before that this image of God, such a rich, deep idea, and we could spend a whole sermon series just looking at the image of God and what that means for us. But just one aspect of this is we are created for a relationship. We are an image of our creator, a reflection of who he is. That right there begins to tell us that we are unique from the rest of humanity. We were created to be in relationship, reflecting, being an image of who God is. That requires a relationship, an ongoing relationship. And if I could, before we go any farther, one of the things that I want to dispel with this sermon is an ongoing philosophy that has rooted itself so deep, particularly, I think, in American, but but much of our culture's thinking around the world, Which is this idea that God created the world, wound it up, and then walked away. And he says, go for it. You're on your own. Figure it out. The technical term for this is deism. But I doubt many people would walk around today going, yes, I'm a deist. Most people just practically live as if God doesn't exist at all. And if I could take it a step farther, I think most of us as Christians practically live as if God doesn't exist. It's very easy to slip into that, to go about our day-to-day lives as if God exists, but he's really not involved. We're kind of on our own. And I hope today, by looking at this theme of God with us, to help us understand, I am never alone. My God, my Creator, my Savior, Jesus Christ, is always, always, always with 
me. Because that makes all the difference, not only in the Christmas season, but in every season. So we have this idea of humanity being made in the image of God. Then there's another little hint in the Garden of Eden that's easily overlooked because it leads into this really awful stuff. But in Genesis chapter 3, we have right after Eve takes the fruit and she gives some to her husband. And and Adam and Eve have just fallen fallen into sin. And it's about to go into what what happens because of that. But Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I just want to stop there. They're going to go on and they're going to hide because they realize they're in big trouble. You know, it's like the kid caught with the hand in the cookie jar. They know they're busted. And they go to hide. But don't miss that first part. They heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The more I've studied creation, the more I see that, that based on, on other ancient Near Eastern texts and the way they kind of set up a, a description of a temple or how a God wants to interact with the people, one of the things you see is that the account of Genesis was God creating a place to meet with his creation, to have an ongoing relationship with him. And we see this most profoundly right here. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Think about all the blessings in the Garden of Eden. All the food you could ever want. They were completely free. No sin at all had yet entered the world. And one of the greatest blessings of all were those times when they just said, Hey, there's God. We get to go hang out with God. There was no sin. There was no barrier. There was nothing hindering that relationship. And so God creates this garden, puts Adam and Eve in it, and he hangs out with them in the Garden of Eden. Man, I think that's cool. At least nod your head to let me know you're awake, okay? (laughs) That's like the most amazing. Now, part of it, I think, why that doesn't impact us so much is that we can't even fathom that idea. What would that be like? In the rest of scripture, when somebody, you know, comes into the presence of God, they're like, boom, down on their face, woe is me, I'm undone, you know, you're going to strike me dead, because they're sinners, but that hadn't happened yet. Well, in this passage it had, but but before this, when they get to hang out with God. Now, as we continue on in the story of scripture, and the account of scripture talks about how, even though sin has entered the world, God still works to be with us. And we see this when he calls Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, if I could translate that in my own head, God says, Abraham, walk that way, I'll tell you when to stop. And I'm going to make sure it all works out okay for you. Leave behind everything that makes you you. All of your identity, your, your family's uh, land, the wealth that they had, you need to go and I'll tell you when to stop because I've got big plans in store for you. Why? What allowed Abraham to do what God called him to do? Why were these promises able to be worked out in Abram's life? It's because God, when he sent Abram, God went with Abram. 
God was leading Abraham to this place, this promised land where he could continue the relationship promised in the garden. Yes, messed up, kind of infected by sin, but still continuing the plan of God being with his people. We see this again in Exodus as the nation of Israel, Abraham's offspring, have gone to Egypt. A whole bunch of hard stuff was going on. There was a famine. They had to go to Egypt. Great story of the sovereignty of God. They're in Egypt and God rescues them. He's calling them up out of Egypt. And he comes to Moses to use him to say, I'm going to lead my people out. And he tells him this in chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, now what was Moses' question? God, who am I? Moses is looking at Moses and saying, Moses can't do this. Not going to happen. God completely ignores his question. He says, it's not about who are you, Moses. You're asking the wrong question. It says, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And that's exactly what happened. And it happened not because Moses was so awesome or capable. In fact, Scripture tells us over and over again that he messed up, just like we do. But God was with him. And God was with his people as he led them out of Israel, or out of Egypt, rather. Now, as this happens, God then appears or talks to the Israelites directly in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. He says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Is, is this a picture of a God that just wound up the universe and walked away? These people are not reading the same Bible that I am. Because if you read scripture, you cannot possibly get an idea of an absentee God. Our creator made us, stays involved in the creation, involved in our lives, involved in history. And he has a very singular purpose for us to be in his presence forever. It's what we're made for. And sin came in and wants to distort that. Look at the rest of this passage. It says, I will be your God. And then he says, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. He says, guys, make, make no mistake here. I'm the one that's going to do it, not you. He wants to bring them into the promised land so that he can dwell among them in the tabernacle and then in the temple, have this relationship with them. Exodus chapter 40, they set up the tabernacle, this tent that was made to be the dwelling place of God among his people. They set it up exactly as he had told them. And then God's glory fills this tent. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, 
and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. If you walked up to an Israelite during the Exodus, all their struggles, the heat, hunger, enemies on every side, in the midst of all of that, if you were to ask one of them, where is your God? They would say, he's right here with me. He's right here with us in the wilderness, in the struggle, in the desert. The presence of our God is right here with us. And so when we come to Matthew, and this prophecy foretold in Isaiah and now told to us, to Joseph and to Mary and to all of Matthew's readers, this is what is being fulfilled. This is not a new thing. It is the culmination, the apex of this incredible plan of God to be with us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is here to reveal God to us. Because us in our sinful, messed up state, we cannot comprehend, but we can see Jesus. And we can read about him as he walked around and he dealt with individuals and he showed love to people. We can see Jesus. But not only that, he came to be Emmanuel, God with us to save us. See, when God shows up, things change. God doesn't just show up and leave everything the way it is. Uh Uh-huh, mm-hmm. No, looks okay. Okay, I'm out of here. That's not our God. He shows up and he says, I've got this. I'm going to fix this. And Jesus comes and lives a perfect life. And he dies on the cross in our place. Still God with us. God with us to save us. And then, if we fast forward to the end of Matthew, we have what we call the Great Commission. When they saw him, this is the disciples, some, or they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is the concept of Emmanuel just a Christmas theme? Not at all. It's the theme of the Old Testament. It's the theme of the Incarnation, the theme of Christmas, and it's the theme of every single day that happens after Christmas. It's the theme of the church today. We are the people, and God is with us. And just as in the Old Testament he was with his people for a purpose, so he is still with us for a purpose. And we'll look at that more in just a little bit. But let's look at one last passage. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. One of my favorite passages. You guys probably get sick of hearing it, but I don't care. Because it's an awesome passage. And and how can you get sick of hearing this? Shame on you. This is great, okay? (laughs) Like how I just told you about you and then made you feel bad about it. I learned that from my mom. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Here's John seeing the culmination of everything. Far into the future. We don't know when. 
And, and please, if anybody ever comes to you or somebody comes on the radio, here's when the world's going to end, Jesus is coming. They don't know. Don't do it, okay? Don't. Just don't get caught up in that stuff. But here's John writing down what God showed him. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, John sees a place, this new Jerusalem, this new place where God is going to dwell among his people. And in this chapter, he describes it as a city coming down from heaven. In the next chapter, he's going to describe it as a garden. And it's the same themes coming right out of earlier in Scripture, this dwelling place that God has made to be with his people. But listen to what he hears. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with him and he they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away friends you were created to be with God he has done everything for that plan singular focused on that plan throughout all of eternity. Everything in Scripture is leading up to Jesus Christ fixing the thing that broke the relationship between us and God, our sin. And the only way it can be fixed is by God himself fixing it. In Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And you are destined to spend all of eternity in the very presence of God. That presence that was so horrifying to others when they were still in their sin and they were just undone when they would come into their presence. We get to stand in his presence unashamed because Jesus has saved us. What a blessing. And and don't see this as separate themes. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order. That's not something in addition to God being with us. That's what happens when God is with us. Those things flee from his presence. They can't stand in his presence. When God is there, we are blessed eternally because that is what we are created to be. The whole point of the new heavens and the new earth is that we will be in the very presence of God. You know, people like to talk about, well, will I talk to animals? Will I be able to fly? Those things are cool. I don't know. Maybe. But don't miss the point. The point of all of it is, you will be with God. The truth is, the rest of it is secondary. You know, there's a difference between a travel agent and a trail guide. When you want to go on a trip, you go to a travel agent and they give you a brochure, maybe a map. They say, here's you know some sites you can see. Go for it. But they don't go with you. They stay in their office. A trail guide says, here's a map, and then they pick up their backpack, and they walk with you. They go out on the trail with you. They get in the boat with you. They climb the mountain with you. If you're climbing Mount Everest, you don't want a trail guide. You don't want somebody who's just going to give you a brochure and point out the route, and here's the really good place to walk. You know, Don't walk here, you'll die. You don't want that. You want the person, they call them Sherpas, that are going to be with you. They know that mountain because they've been up and down it numerous times. 
They're going to go with you. Jesus Christ is not a tour guide. He's he's not here to just tell us as as a travel agent what we should do. We don't just read scripture for the do's and don't do's. We read scripture to understand the God who is with us. And what it means to live in his presence. Jesus is the trail guide that is with us every step of the way. And I pray this Christmas you can understand and remember that Jesus is here with you. He is involved in the day-to-day affairs of your life, of this church, of this culture, this country, this world, this universe. He is with us. This is the comfort of God with us. Not just, you can do it, I can help. But God coming and saying, I'm here and I've done it for you and I will never leave you. Let's go. But let me take it one step further before we end. Because not only is God's passionate plan for all eternity to be with us, but throughout Scripture, He works through groups of people to help the rest of the world to see that plan. He did it through the Israelites in the Old Testament. He did it through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob before that. How is He working today to show the world that He is with us. Because God is still carrying out that plan today. The world needs a translation. I am horrible at foreign languages. Just awful. There was a time in college that I thought I should be one of those missionaries that goes to the tribe and translates scripture into their language. And then I tried learning like the easy languages. You know, the ones everybody learns and I, they just don't click. I took Latin in high school because I knew I'd never run into somebody that needed to speak Latin. <laughs> that was very comforting to me. I took enough Greek in college to realize that that was not my spiritual gift. It was not going to happen. But when you come across a document, an ad, a poster, whatever it is, a website in a different language... You need a way, you need that button, that Google Translate or something that says, put this in a form that I can get it. Translate it for me. In many ways, the incarnation is that. It's a translation of God. God in the flesh. So we can see Jesus, we can see his mannerisms, his his smile, we can see him touch the leper and heal them. Love the person, the woman at the well that's an outcast. We can see something about who God is. But that translation is still going on today. And Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 talks about the church. And God placed all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, Emmanuel, God with us, God took on flesh to be with us. The world still needs to see the character and nature of God. Now, make no mistake, you and I, we're not Jesus. Okay, let's just make that clear. Never going to be Jesus. Never going to be perfect like Jesus until we get to heaven. And even then, we'll still not be Jesus. But the church, you and I, we need to be the people that live knowing, understanding, recognizing, admitting God is with us. 
And when they look at our lives, when they look at our relationships, they should see the difference that the presence of God makes. His presence first in saving us, and then the ongoing presence in changing us. The world needs to see a translation because the world loves to make up their own ideas about who God is. They need to see a translation of who God is. So as we live as the church of Jesus Christ, they look at us and hopefully, always a bit imperfectly, but hopefully see a bit about who Jesus is. Frankly, this is bigger than I can comprehend. It's certainly bigger than you and I could ever hope to accomplish. We fail. We we fall short all the time. And yet we have this wonderful passage we looked at earlier, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus gives these orders to the disciples to go out, to be this, this translation, this carrier of the gospel. He says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he gives them the instructions. And at the end he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you ever feel like you can't make it as a Christian? just not good enough, you can't live the Christian life, can't share the gospel. Man, I do all the time. But what if we would stop and say, I can't, but he can, and he's with me. And the person that's with me makes all the difference in the world. This is our identity as Christians. It's our identity as the church The one with all the authority in the world is the one who has sent us and is the one who goes with us. We are never alone. And the mission that we are sent on is guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because it's his mission, he's with us, and he's carrying it out. So guess what? It's going to happen. Because God is with us. Earlier I said that it helped having my dad in the water when I was learning to dive. The one thing I didn't tell you is is the other very distinct part of that memory, which is that when I jumped, I did a tremendous belly flop. I came up out of the water sputtering, choking, crying. My, My whole stomach and chest were just bright red. And who was right there? My dad. And I didn't have to worry in that moment because my dad grabbed me and helped get me over to the side of the pool. And the point I want to make with that is that God being with us, as we still live in this sin-scarred world, God being with us doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly. Doesn't mean there won't be any pain now. It doesn't mean there won't be any trials now. In fact, that's the other thing. If you read scripture, is that these people that, that God had promised to be with, they went through a lot of difficult things. Sometimes their own fault, sometimes just situations in the world. Knowing God doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen. But it means knowing that when those things happen, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. This Christmas, I pray, you will remember, God is with you. He sent his son, 
Not only as proof that he is with us, but as part of the ongoing carrying out of that plan to be with us and to do everything possible and necessary for us to be with him forever. God with us to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are about to take communion, we are reminded both through the the Christmas theme of Emmanuel, God with us, and through the communion theme of remembering who Jesus is and what he did on the cross by dying in our place to take the penalty for our sin. All of it goes together as part of this beautiful tapestry of your will throughout all of history to be with us. And Father, we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face. And those saved by Jesus Christ will be able to stand in your presence unashamed because all of the shame and stain of sin will have been wiped away. And we will live in your presence forever. But in between the garden and the perfect presence then and eternity and the perfect presence then, we live here and now in the messiness of this world. But let us never forget that in the messiness of this world, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be born in a manger, Emmanuel, God with us, in whose name we pray, amen.